February is well underway and 2020 has already seen its fair share of volatility. All eyes have been on the tech sector as earnings rolled in and concerns about supply chain disruption in China rippled through the markets. The beginning of the month was marked by a strong start for the tech sector. For the NYSE Fang Plus Index, Monday, February 3rd ended up being a record-setting day of trade. Scott Asajek of RexShares joined me to talk about the broader equity markets with focus on the tech sector as well as on the ETF industry. Now, it's no secret that there has been plenty of volatility in underlying shares of companies like Tesla. The FANG Plus Index is equally weighted and includes the five core FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet, and five actively traded tech growth stocks, including Alibaba, Baidu, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Twitter. The tech sector has matured along with traders, and that means the demand for growth and stability. You'll get further insight into how concentrated exposure to market segments can provide leverage as well as inverse exposures to specific areas of the market. Scott, great to have you here today. Great to be here. Well, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. It's a new year, a new decade, and we're seeing a lot of wild swings in the broader market as well as in other asset classes as well. So first and foremost, what do you make of what we're seeing in terms of the investment landscape? Yeah, yeah. I think the investment landscape has been quite interesting, right? Like we were in this equity market that chopped a lot during like Q2 and in the Q3. We were looking at uh, geo uh, geopolitical uh, headlines left and right, whether it be trade wars or anything along those lines. Uh, that really kind of put a lid on what was going on in the stock market. So we kind of just saw this larger sideways market. And kind of as that kind of defrosted, as earnings kind of continued to turn out pretty positive, we saw a Q4 that did really well. We saw, and I would like to think big tech kind of led that way. Uh, and from Q4 to yesterday, we had Apple up over like 44%. NVIDIA was up a ton. Tesla has been roaring. I think it was up 200% from the end of Q4. So it really has been this big tech-led equity rally with everything kind of participating. And I think you pinpointed the uh, catalyst right there, uh, especially given all of the uh, new headlines that have popped up, including health concerns regarding the coronavirus outbreak, as well as uh, trade uh, resolutions as we head into the rest of this year. So when you're talking about big tech, uh, do you consider uh, some of these indexes or what people traditionally focus on when it comes to tech investing as uh, the big tech proxies. Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think it's hard to do that. So I think one of the most popular tech indices out there or tech light referred uh, indices out there is the NASDAQ 100. And I think it's a pretty great index overall, but you have to know what you're looking at. It is the 100 largest companies listed on the NASDAQ exchange. So really, what does that mean? It used to be, you know, all the tech companies used to only list on the NASDAQ and it was quite interesting, but it's matured quite a lot over, over time. Uh, so that includes now c- companies like Pepsi, Costco, Starbucks, even American Airlines are all listed on the NASDAQ exchange which means they're now included in the NASDAQ 100. And I think you and I would both agree that's not what we think of when we think of big tech. And I think the other big tech index out there is the Tech Select Index. Now, what's interesting there is that there's this thing called GIX. GIX classification came into play about two years ago. So that kind of broke up the entire uh, landscape as it classified individual companies maybe a little bit differently. They they included things like communication services, uh, uh, consumer discretionary, and then also what we have Tech Select now. So now this Tech Select is almost more information technology. So it includes companies like Visa and MasterCard, even like the consulting firm Accenture is in this tech select.
product index. Uh, it does include a, a company like Apple, but it has no real fang names in it. So when people think about big tech, I really struggle thinking about either one of those indexes as my proxy for big tech. And uh, Scott, you have a suite of products that are focused on the fang index uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So can you describe that index and tell me about what made you decide to launch the different products uh, tied to the fang index? Yeah, I just think the tech landscape, uh, like as I just talked about, what, what's going on with the NASDAQ 100 and with the tech select index, the entire tech landscape has changed for, for investing. So when we think about big tech names, we're thinking about FANG, we're thinking about FANG with two A's, and the New York Stock Exchange, uh, ICE, basically created a, the FANG Plus Index. Their whole goal was to kind of create one index, 10 of the biggest names in the world, the most liquid names in the world that are innovators, tech-enabled companies. So if you think about FANG with two A's, Facebook, uh, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and then other names. What are other innovators? Tesla, NVIDIA, Alibaba, Baidu, and Twitter. That's the 10 names that comprise the index right now. It's equally weighted, so it's really, in my mind, like a big tech barometer. And Scott, you are entrenched in the industry, and we saw a lot of regulatory changes come into effect at the end of 2019. And some of the regulations people have been eyeing for a couple years, almost a decade as well. So what do you make of these regulatory changes, and what are the implications for you? Yeah, I, I think if we're looking at big tech, I think, you know, it's big tech regulations or some kind of uh, legal stuff or inquiries are kind of going on a lot right now. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be, you know, so far to date, it's seems like when they have a, when the government has an issue with a big tech firm, it seems like it's it's dealt with a fine and more self-policing. So maybe that gets cracked out a little bit, but I don't I don't see necessarily anything significant kind of disrupting that. And of course, as we uh, head into the new year, a lot of people have been focused on uh, what's been happening in terms of the broader equity markets. And of course, uh, we continue to see new record highs, which is quite unbelievable if we step back in time. But yes. we all know that hindsight is twenty twenty. So what do you make of uh, what we can expect to see in the ETF industry when the eventual correction comes? Yeah, I mean, eventually the market has to go down. But it is kind of funny that we are seeing like these records almost on a daily basis. So uh, I think it becomes, uh, you know, more of a timing thing. Like, when could this possibly happen right now? You know, macro indicators are pretty positive right now. If you look globally, it seems like almost every country in the world is doing some form of easing right now. So it's tough to really, you know, predict when there'll be some kind of market crash, when they, all these confluence of events are really generally positive for the stock market. Uh, but when and if there are uh, some kind of sell-off, I think the, you know, investors are wise to look at maybe inverse products. Uh, are there ways to, you know, kind of hedge yourself? By, by going short the equity market or something along those lines. And uh, Scott, a lot of uh, people, when they think about ETFs, whether we're talking about retail investors or institutional investors, they might think of some of the big names out there, especially when you're looking at AUM. Yeah. But as we head into not just this year, but the rest of this decade, what do you expect to see in terms of the broader ETF landscape? And what trends are you watching? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the big three that have the majority of assets in ETFs, they're all competing for some of the basic plays, right? Like your basic bonds, your basic stocks. Your basic 60-40s is, is what they're all about. Uh, a lot of our focus at RecShares is more on the alternative. So whether that's, you know, capturing themes like big tech and putting them in a product that is actually you can't even put into an, ET, uh, an ETF wrapper, but it can only be fit into an ETN, kind of creating new access vehicles for big banks, for uh, cannabis, for all, all different kinds of plays. Uh, I think there's a lot of innovation being done outside of the big three. 
And last but not least, before I let you go, I'm sure you've heard a lot of myths as well as misconceptions surrounding ETFs. And we might have some people in the listening audience who are not so familiar with ETFs and they're considering uh, these products as an investment. So what are some of the myths that you hear commonly about ETFs and uh, misconceptions and how would you like to dispel them? Yeah, um, I, th- I think there are probably a few ETFs uh, misconceptions. The ones that we, we kind of run into most are uh, on-screen liquidity of the ETF versus the underlying basket. That, that, that's the biggest one we kind of run into. Um, so if you have something like a big tech index, let's say a Nizi Fang product, uh, you could look at it and you, know, you see whatever size is on the screen. So, But the reality is those names, there's a couple trillion dollar market cap names behind that. So there is actually a lot more liquidity to, uh, to the underlying stocks than which is currently being shown in the ETFs. And uh, one more question for you, since we're talking about myths. Um, are there any myths surrounding fees that uh, you'd like to dis- uh, um, dispel as well? Uh, no. I mean, I think ETFs are actually kind of uh, quite positive and receive a lot of positive attention based on fees. If you compare it to, you know, if you look at your generic large cap ETF, you know, I don't know there's zero basis points, two basis points, three basis points. It's, it's almost free to invest in large cap stocks. Uh, when you look at like an active mutual fund or even like a beta mutual fund, the, the, the fees are still so much higher than, than what you get with an ETF. And you also, you have to wait for end of day liquidity, which is interesting. It seems like nowadays, like there's a lot of computers and algorithms that are doing trading so you could end up with some uh, maybe some market swings where you might want intraday liquidity and that's what an ETF provides versus a mutual fund. Well Scott thank you so much for joining me today and thank you for uh, dispelling some of the myths out there and for all of your insights into the ETF industry. Great being here Remy thank you so much. And thank you very much for tuning in for today's episode. Any comments or questions are welcome from the listening audience. And make sure to tune in for our next episode. I'll be taking a closer look at opportunities driven by catalysts and speaking with Jay Hatfield of InfraCap. This is Asset TV.